you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4? 2 Timothy chapter 3 first and then into chapter 4. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the authority of it from such turn away. Verse 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is Profitable. Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. I don't like people putting in the word and there. You don't, you don't preach the gospel in season and out of season. It's in season when it's out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now, I have been asked to speak to you under the title of the call to be an evangelist. And from some points of view, what I've got to tell you is going to be disappointing. Because I do not believe that there is a call to be an evangelist. There is a call to evangelize, as I shall show you. But there cannot be a call to be an evangelist. Let me just pause a moment while our illustrious guests arrive. Oh, is that so? Oh, welcome. Do you want to say a word now, Roger? Ah, give them a clap. Nice to meet you. I am speaking about a call to be an evangelist, and I began by, in the most negative way possible, by saying, I don't believe there is a call to be an evangelist, there is a call to be an, to evangelize, and you are told to do that. Now, I'll tell you why I say that. When I think of a missionary, I think of him being called a missionary by his geographical disposition. Once you cross water, I regard you as a missionary, even if you go to the Isle of Wight. But I've always regarded a missionary as getting his name from the fact that he travels out of his own country into another country, so that he is given a name by his location. Now, an evangelist does not get his name from uh, in that way. I think it is the spirit of his ministry, as I shall show you. 
It is the way he goes about God's work that determines that he is an evangelist. But there's no such thing. I cannot think of a vocation uh, into which you are called. You can be called to be a minister of a church, yes. That is geographically situated. You can be a curate. That is geographically located. You can be a vicar. But when you become an evangelist, there is no such thing as a a ready-made evangelist. You cannot be called to be an evangelist because there's not a single evangelist on the earth who is ready-made. I don't believe that you are born an evangelist. People ask the question, are you a born evangelist? I say no. An evangelist is always made. It's something you learn, first of all, by a simple work for God. It's interesting to notice how many evangelists began their career by working with other people. Billy Sunday was the organizer for the Wilbur Chapman crusade. And as he began to see how they did it, oh, they said, he said, I think I can do this. And in the end, he was doing it even better. He's known as the man who smashed a chair in every meeting. They didn't provide him just with hymn books, but a brand new chair every meeting. Because at a certain point in the meeting, he knocked it over the head of the demon drink. His great penchant was to denounce booze. And he did it with a chair. So Billy Sunday was well known as a great campaigner. But he began in a simple way. Eric Hutchings planned the Billy Graham campaign. I don't say that Eric became a great evangelist. But he began to see, hello, I think I understand what they do, how they go about it. Billy Graham began by doing Youth for Christ work. I met him when he was not an evangelist. And he didn't know a very lot much when he saw my printing posters compared with his. I remember he saying to Cliff Barrows, this is the kind of publicity we should have. So there was a lot that he hadn't heard, you see, and understood. So don't imagine there's a thing called an evangelist. You are not it on Monday, you are it on Tuesday. Nobody becomes an evangelist in that way. For many years, no, I won't say many years, but for a long, long time, I never called myself an evangelist. I called myself as a speaker. A speaker, I was a student, in, a medical student in London, and I started to speak. And they said, we're the speaker tonight. That's all I called myself. But slowly but surely, God made me realize that he had equipped me to be an evangelist. Now, I'll talk to you about the equipment of an evangelist. Certainly, you should do the work of an evangelist. Paul is telling Timothy now, don't forget to do the work of an evangelist. So the defining part of an evangelist is the work that he does, not the person he is. So that anyone here is capable of being an evangelist. And I'm going to show you in a moment that you probably are right now without having the title uh, appended to your name. Now, we've got to say that first of all. Because that's the second thing we've got to say. When people talk about being an evangelist, unconsciously they have in mind a certain type of person conducting a certain type of work. And generally speaking, it's either dear Dr. Billy Graham or Louis Palo or Don Summers or people like that or people like Roger here. My friend, when I lecture to the students in the Bible College of Wales, I tell them, the moment you begin to think that evangelism is only that kind of evangelism, not only will you be discouraged and despair, but you'll have missed a great opportunity of being used of God. And so in my lectures, this is what I tell people, and I put them on the blackboard. There are several types of evangelism, and I'll tell them as well as I can remember them. First of all, there is something called mass evangelism. It's nothing to do with the Pope. It's mass evangelism. 
The reaching of the maximum number of people in the minimum amount of time. And there has been mass evangelism for a long time. And I believe in it. I am 1,000% Billy Graham. I've always been pro-Billy Graham. I don't say I'm pro-all other mass evangelists. They're more expensive than they're worth, some of them. But Billy has justified his call. And the value of mass evangelism is primarily that by its sheer size, it makes religion a talking point in a community. The very word mass is a helpful word. I remember many, many years ago, before we knew much about mass evangelism in Britain, I had a huge demonstration in Swansea. I had all the young people of Wales come down from the valleys with banners. I got the policeman on a white horse. I got the Salvation Army band to lead. They all had these beautiful posters with slogans. And we marched through the city of Swansea with me at the head of them. Oh, I felt great that day. And then we were to meet on a big bomb site for a mass open air meeting a woman was heard to say to her husband darling she said when you see so many of them together it makes you think that was a significant remark you see when you see so many of them together and there is something to be said Charlie Porter uh, Potter the converted communist he and I worked a lot together he was converted under Dr. Billy Graham's ministry but this is what impressed him he told me that he was at last forced to go and hear Billy he had to join the bus so he went to goes to, to pull him to pieces but he said what impressed me he said that when I got to Harringay town I saw hundreds of buses coming from every direction to hear a man talking about Jesus. He said, that hit me, he said. Well, there is, of course, Adolf Hitler saw the value of great youth rallies and uh, orchestrated applause and response and sing, I, sing, I, sing, I. Of course, mass has always been an important uh, factor. Well, I do not object to that in, in great rallies. Not only so, the throw-off from a large crusade is very good, because people are suddenly learning how to be ushers in a church, how to be counsellors, how to be choir members, how to uh, bring friends. There is always a throw-off, just as space programs have given us many ancillary benefits. So I, I believe it's fine. But once you begin to think that that is evangelism, I think Dr. Billy Graham would be the first to admit that it is by no means the best. Don't ever forget, biggest is not always best. In fact, biggest is usually suspect. There are, there are usually more flaws in the big than in the smaller. So, by all means, let's do that. Ah, but now having said that, now go and think of this, that there's something called specialized evangelism. If I were to take a pencil and perish the thought, the minister would be after me. I think I could fill this wall with all the titles and starting with UBM and NYLC and CSSM and CU and CPT and PTL and ABC, DEF, GHI. Oh, the titles you can have for the, the one by one band. Oh, the, 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 the ingenuity of the Holy Spirit, the infinite variety of the way he has made people feel, I'm going to work at my bus colleagues, the post office Christian association, what they call the poker. The poker, the poker, it actually is. But I call it the poker. Oh, the things there are in the world. Specialized evangelism. Beautiful, beautiful. 
Look at the covenanters and the crusaders and the campaigners. My, what an infinite variety. The, the God of the snowflake has produced infinite variety. And once you are involved in any kind of work like that, you are evangelizing. You may never be called an evangelist. What does it matter? What does it matter? You see, this is what's wrong. I, I can't believe. And, and young people come up to me, I feel called to be an evangelist. I say, what are you doing now? What evidence is there that God is owning you now? God will never put you in the big thing straight away. Paul says you don't put a novice in a place of position. Or you'll be brought down with the same thing that brought the devil down. So I, I, I really do not believe that there is a call to a man who is nothing almost to suddenly be this evangelist. But I meet people, and here Roger is a good example, how God was using him, using him, teaching him, giving him desires to reach more, reach more, until one day he gave up his job as a teacher, and he becomes an evangelist. Now, I do not like the word, the call to be an evangelist. The call to evangelize later out of that, from your experience gained and your desires created, you may suddenly discover that God has given you a particular gift of what I call a reaping evangelist. I think most people imagine that an evangelist is a reaper. Jesus said to the disciples in John 4, I send you to reap that upon which you have bestowed no labor. Others have labored and you are entered into their labors. But then both sower and reaper will rejoice together. People do take it for granted that an evangelist is the one who's going to reap what the pastor has sown. And I think it's right. I'm never proud about people who get converted in my rallies because I know I'm the last link in a very long chain. I've, I'm always the last link in what may be a very long chain. The man who led me to Christ was Roy Hessian, but the man who won me was my father. The man who never lost his temper in all the years that I knew him. The man who got up during the night to fetch his lazy, indolent son a cup of water and uh, never complained. Never saw my father lose his temper. Now he won me to Christ, but it was Roy Hessian led me to Christ, for which I thank God. So, you see, there is, there is work to be done. And if God will one day bring you by these stages to be an evangelist, then you have been greatly honored because there is something called an evangelist. There are those, as you say, who wanted to say that it went out with a, with a patristic period. Something went out to the apostolic period. You know, there were the apostles. And then there came the fathers, the patristic period. And they think that evangel the, the, the gift of evangelist disappeared then. Well, now, we don't believe that. That you can become an evangelist. The word Christian appears in the New Testament three times, three times only. The word evangelist appears in the New Testament three times and three times only. So if somebody wants to say to me, it only appears three times, I said, so does the word Christian. And I don't think we question the word Christian. So there is, there is a definition of a man. But the definition is not just in the office, but in the nature of his work. Now in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, you get five ministries put together. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, Teachers, will you watch this now? I wish for a moment, Roger, I'd asked you to give me a blackboard. I meant to, but I forgot. But I wanted you to see this typographically on the board. Apostles, prophets, 
evangelists, pastors, teachers. I would put them in that order. Apostles, prophets. I would put an evangelist there. I would pastors, teachers there. And I would say to you, this is what I regard these people as doing. The apostles and the prophets establish the faith. They establish the faith. We are built on the doctrine of the apostles and the prophets. They were the teaching men who gave us the tradition of New Testament revelation. Now, an evangelist does not establish the faith, but he extends the frontier. He extends the frontier. He pushes the frontier of Satan back and establishes the kingdom of Christ. When Jesus said, the governments of hell shall not prevail against the church, what he actually said, the governments of hell shall not keep her in shall not keep her in. She'll go out and push the frontiers of Satan further back and establish, not establish the faith, but to expand or extend the frontier. Now the pastors and the teachers, they edify the flock. They edify the flock. But they are not watertight gifts. It's possible that a prophet and apostle would evangelize. An evangelist might have a teaching ministry and he could look after a group of people for quite a time. And pastors and teachers could evangelize. They're not watertight. But an evangelist's title comes from the kind of ministry he exercises. And you can exercise that in many, many departments. Now, uh, I, I would say that that is to me a very, very important part of the being an evangelist. I became an evangelist. Now I'll show you in a few moments what the features of an evangelist have come to be. You know, I'm not saying that that's what they are at the beginning, but there comes a moment when you have these features. Uh, I've got them. Uh, no, no credit to me that I may have something, a gift of some kind. What I've done is to exercise those who have their... What is the word? Ministries, ex, they exercise their back. You know, my son, when he was 14, was ever so short, ever so short. And I said to him one day, why don't you get into a rugby pack, Ivan, and get knocked about a bit, see? And he said, well, Dad, a man's got to play the games and go with his size. And I realized that my son was aware. And he was very, very short at 14. But bless his heart. He began to do weightlifting. My word, it made me, it made me groan to hear him lifting up half a hundredweight on that foot and a half a hundredweight on this. But you want to see him now. Cassius Clay ain't got nothing on him. <laughs> Six foot two. One day he said to me, Dad, get on my shoulders. And I was thirteen stone ten. I got on his shoulders and if he had gone up and down with me on his shoulders, that wouldn't be bad. But indeed he went like this with me on his shoulders. But you see, he exercised, and now he ripples, beautiful to look at. I shouldn't be talking like that, I know, but he's my son. But the thing is, but he, 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 he didn't take a pill and say, hmm, look, he didn't take, he, he didn't say, spinach, you see, spinach, yeah, and away, and away he goes. No, no, he exercised thereby, exercised, and away comes the gift. And it shows. Now, thirdly, there's what I call indirect evangelism. Indirect evangelism. As I said last night, Moody said there are two ways of doing God's work. One is to do ten men's work. The other is to teach ten men to do it. 
And uh, there's an indirect evangelism. Let me give you a quick and uh, good example. The man I, who spoke for WEC last night, not the one who spoke for 60 minutes, the other one, the Scotsman, uh, he remembered me being in St. Andrew's Hall in a place called Pilrig uh, in Edinburgh. And do you know the man there who had bought the hall said, David, he said to me, come and see my boys, you see. Come and see my boys. And he took me to the back room and on the wall of this vestry were 11, or was it 13? I think it was 11, it could have been 13. 11 pictures, full-headed pictures of men, fine-looking men. He said, my boys, he said. Now, he wasn't married, so I knew he didn't mean that they were his boys any other way. But he said to me, now, David, he said, I can't speak for toffee. I couldn't speak in front of people to save my life. But when it comes to making money, no problem. Everything I touch turns to gold. He was a wholesaler, fruit for a vegetable man. Now, he said, as I went around Scotland, I met young men with fire in their bones, wanting to serve the Lord. And I would say to a young man, now, young man, you want to serve the Lord? I'll tell you what I'll do. You pray about it, get God's okay, and if you will work hard, I'll send you to the Moody Bible Institute in America. You'll have plenty of problems without your financial ones, and you better remember that. Some people go deliberately by faith. Uh, I say, you'll get plenty of problems, with, even if you have all the money. He said, you go, and you work hard for the Lord, and I'll see you through college. And there they were, 11 men beaming down on the man who had sent them. Now, he was living 12 lives, his own and theirs. He had redeemed the time, and that Greek word means by time, by time. Nobody has enough time to serve the Lord. What if you could invest it in somebody else and live other lives? I say indirect evangelism. I know of a little woman who couldn't stand. If she saw a mouse, she'd scream. She'd certainly not stand before people. But one day she had the great idea of producing millions of very cheap records. I've taken them in my baggage to Norway and places like that. And here she's talking I've recently got all sorts of people to donate their money to buy a hand-wound uh, recorder that takes the message in all languages all over the world. They've now got a, a little disc and you put a pencil in it. And you've got a cardboard disc and you put a pencil and you do that and, and, and the sound comes out because of a little needle underneath. Now, who would say she wasn't evangelizing? The principal of a college or the principal of the South Wales Bible College where I lecture, you hardly see him on the pulpit. He's hardly ever in the pulpit. He's a shy, retiring man, a brilliant scholar, Cambridge M.A. But you see, he's not that kind of man. But all over the world, he has sent out students. I meet them in many parts of the world. Are you going to tell me he's not evangelizing? It's indirect evangelism. Stimulating, stimulating. And I will say this to you, when I went in to be the pastor of our church, I said to the people there, I will have no passengers on board this ship, only crew. I said, none of you are going to waste your time or my time, we're going to work for God. So I said to the young people one day, we're going to have a barbecue. I went down to the farm, I borrowed a field, I said, we're going to have a barbecue. I want you to do this, you to do that, you girls will see to this, etc., etc. I had everybody knowing what they were to do. And when the day came, the road down to the farm was black with young people. An incredible number turned up. Right, some weeks later I said, we're going to have another barbecue. 
So I said, I want you to do this, I want you to do that and that. So they did it again. We had another barbecue. Some weeks later they said to me, Pastor, we're going to have a barbecue. And we would like you to speak. I said, you've got it. You've got it. I, I never took a barbecue after that. And they began to fill the church on Guy Fawkes nights, little ideas. Now, I was so thrilled. And that's the result. And the result of that is that when I left the church, things didn't collapse. There's no greater reflection on the minister than when he leaves the church. Everything collapses. I don't want to speak too particularly, but I know of men, they leave the church, and that's the end of the church. Now, they never taught. Field Marshal Haig said to the leaders of the church... It's the church's business to make my business impossible. Going around killing people was his business. He said, it's your business to make my business impossible. And when you make yourself unnecessary, you've taught them good lessons. But you see, that's indirect evangelism. Now, there's what I call apologetic evangelism. You see, dear friends, I heard the great sangster, the Methodist sangster. He was an amazing man. He always wetted his words before he spoke. Did you ever see it? He could get you crying and laughing. Oh, he was a great man, was sangster. He said, he said conference of evangelism, some men, they're all head and no heart. But some men are all heart and no head. He said, but when God can get a head and a heart, he rolls up his sleeves and says to the world, look what I shall do now. And Wesley shouts to Luther, up an atom, up an atom. We were amazed, you see. There are brilliant men who are fighting, fighting to defend the faith. The creationist movement in America, don't you play it down as being intellectual. The anti-evolution protest movement in this country... That's great when men can appear on television when, when radio have abused their monopoly to preach only evolution. And Dewar, Colonel Dewar White writing pamphlets to protest. Now don't you ever remember that anything that defends the cause and maintains the honor of his name is evangelism. It would be so wrong to say that it is only someone like me leading a 20-day crusade with 35 churches uniting in it. It just is not true. And then, of course, there's pastoral evangelism. Pastoral evangelism is so good. Philip Hacking was right this morning. Prevent, presenting the total Jesus to the total man by the total church for the total world. Uh, you mustn't... Uh, dear Roger has called this an evangelist conference, but when you said your names the other day, lots of you said you were pastors and assistant pastors. And I'm going to tell you again, God may lead you out from that and one day you will be signaled out as an evangelist in the purest sense of the term. But in the meantime, go at it hip and thigh. There's something exciting about an evangelizing church. An army with banners. I had a great time. I can tell you, for the five years I was in our church, uh, I had a great time. Men were writing in to me uh, saying, could we have this kind of conference in your church? And that kind of conference. I said, pardon me? I said, we don't need it. We're doing it. We're doing it, you see. Not that I despise their systems. One step forward. It was a lovely thing. But I said, we were doing it. We were doing it. Every conceivable idea. 
we were doing it in our church uh, because that was a great place to take the gospel from. Now we've got all sorts of things going on in the church there. But that is a pastoral evangelism. But the final form of evangelism is what I call personal, the, the Cinderella of evangelism, the personal evangelism. Oh, I say, if everyone did personal work, expensive evangelism might not be needed. I'm, I'm saying that carefully, because I still think there'll always be need of a reaper. I still think there's always the need of a reaper. As I said to somebody talking today, a pastor tells people throughout the year, or two years or three years, that there's a door that is open, that God has opened it. And evangelist says, but next week it might close. That's the difference between a pastor and an evangelist, you see. The pastor says it's true, and the evangelist comes to say, what are you going to do about it? The pastor says, we. The evangelist says, you. <laughs> Billy Graham, he's very good. You remember when Billy started? Oh, he pointed. He was preaching in one place in America, and uh, as he tore a strip off the senators for their corruption... He tore off the strip of the businessmen. There was a man down here saying, Amen, Billy, tell him. <laughs> and then he tore a strip off the actors. Amen, Billy, this fellow saying. See, when he got through about six of these great fiends of society, and this fellow saying, Amen, Billy, he said, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. <laughs> he didn't say Amen after that. Now, you see, an evangelist, he just says, He's not there to say we're all sinners. Never mind about my sins, I'm talking about yours right now. See, never mind about me pleasing God, I'm talking about you pleasing God. Now, by the nature of the case, there are things a pastor cannot say. Not that he's afraid to say them, but they would be indelicate, you see. I've gone to many a place, and the pastor said to me, David, they'll swear that I've told you all about them. I even pointed to the people in my preaching. But I wasn't doing it deliberately. I said, you know, that's you. And the pastor and his wife said, oh, he'll swear that I told them. Now, he knows that it's true, but I didn't know. So when I say it, he feels found out, you see. If the pastor said it, he'd resent it. So there is, there is, there is something about an evangelistic gift that is... That is that, well, I didn't I've ever, don't know why I said that, but what I'm coming to is this... That the great thing about personal evangelism is this. It's the one thing they don't want to do, but if everybody did it, then this kind of evangelism may not be necessary. And I was glad to hear Roger say what he said yesterday. And dear Roger, that's been my ambition all my life. All my life, I've always felt that I don't need to look for work for Jesus. I've said to many churches, if you haven't found something to do for Jesus, you haven't looked very far. Go and sit on a park bench. Go and buy a coffee. When I was in, in Ireland and no Catholics would come to Protestant meetings, I used to go into shops to buy things I didn't need in order to talk to the shopkeepers. And that's, and, and that's what they said. The brethren said to me, David, you've taught us something. You gossip the gospel. You see, supposing this floor were filled with bottles with their stoppers out, and you take a bucket full of water and you throw it over the open bottles, well, they'd all be wet, probably, and quite a number would get some water in. In fact, it's conceivable that one bottle might have quite a bit in, but I can't imagine any bottle getting filled with a bucket full of water. But you take each bottle and hold it under the zap, eh? Hey, number one, boom. Now, number two. Now, evangelism is often throwing the bucket. Personal evangelism is holding it under the tap. 
and they don't get away until it is full. There's something great. It, 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 is, it is the bravest of evangelism. A general in his wardroom getting his aide-de-camps to push flags all over the map of the battlefield is all right, but it's those soldiers foot-slogging through the mud to meet the enemy face to face. That's where the courage is. And I say this to you, that people don't do this. They don't do this. But what if more people did? Could I ask you a quick question? If I offered to work for you, you had a business. I said, I'll work for you, but for six months only. And all I want you to give me, first week, just give me a penny. One penny. And I'll work for you for six months. But on one condition, that each week you double my wages. Will you do that for me? What did you all say? Oh, rather, thank you very much. You'll be paying me at the end of that period something like £475,000 a week. By an arithmetic progression, it's amazing what a penny doubled can do in six months. Somebody sat down one day and calculated that if each person were to win one person, was it a year, something like that, or a certain period? Every six months, right, you are, it's obviously, he's always up to date, he's Raja. But if somebody had won another, and those two won two, that within a generation, the whole world could be won. It seems incredible. But I say that the minister who can only preach from the pulpit and will not speak face to face is a little bit of a hypocrite. The kind who put on their overcoats with their handmade shirts and go to hot hotels and leave all the people to themselves. There's something false about that man. If you can't speak face to face, there's something false. That's one thing I like about Dick, Dick Saunders. Dick is down on earth. He'll come down and talk to you, will Dick? I've always made it my, my ambition to go down for people. I go down for people. I look into their eyes, look into their faces. Uh, and uh, Unless they've made an appeal, a response in the appeal, and we're occupied in the inquiry room. I go down. I encourage other people to go down. That's a good test of the reality of Christianity when you can give it away to one person. You and he or she. And you're pouring in the gospel. Oh, there was a man in my church. He was good at this. He was good at this. I learned a lot from him. Somebody said to him one day, will this train take me to Swansea? He said, yes, if you'll get in. <laughs> good answer, is Quick. And I've had some good times in uh, turning the conversation. A woman said to me one day, it's pouring cats and dogs, isn't it? She said. It was in Wales, you see. Well, I said, my dear, did you never sing in Sunday school? There is sunshine in my soul today. Were you never taught that you can have sunshine in the soul? Did you know that Jesus Christ is not only called Son, S-O-N, but he's called Son, S-U-N. And you know how grand you feel when the sun comes out? What if he should come out? Mm, yes, that's a thought, isn't it? <laughs> and away we go. Oh, oh, the times. Did I tell you of the day my wife and I were on a service station uh, on the motorway, you see? My wife, I'm still waiting for her, when suddenly a, a, a bus came in and about a hundred young people nearly trampled me to death. They were vomited under the tarmac and they made for the one-armed bandits behind me. <laughs> I was so <laughs> But one of them came back out and he said to me, um, have you got your ten pence pieces, sir? Because that's, and it so happened that that day I had a pocket full of them. Don't know why, unless it was the Lord. 
Oh, I said, yes, I have. Hold your hand out, you see. So he held out his hand. I said, now, there's one, I said. And there's two. I said, by the way, I said, I can only change a pound for you, I said, which I gladly do. And there's three. I did it slowly. I said, but do you know, there is somebody, and there's four, and uh, he'll not only change a pound for you, and there's five, <laughs> but if you give yourself into his hand, there's six. He'll not only change a pound for you, I said, there's seven, but he'll change you as well. Who said, sir, are you Christian? I said, yes, I am. Who said, sir, all of us? Well, I said, you could have fooled me. <laughs> but the thing is this, you see, he was surprised that somebody talking about giving change suddenly talks about Jesus. How quickly, said somebody, can you get from the weather to Jesus? Oftentimes when I give people a lift, I make a big detour to drop them at their home. Oh, that's nice of you. My dear friend, I said, all I'm doing is putting my foot on the throttle. What if I had to be put on a cross with nails in my hands and nails on my feet? Then you could begin to talk, couldn't you? That would be doing something for you. I said, that's what somebody did one day. Who oh, is incredible and terribly satisfying. Oh, the day when you said something about Jesus. It's a, you end that day happily. Now, do it to huge crowds if God leads you. Amen. But he'll hardly give you the crowds if you ignore the ones. Why should he? Well, now, quickly. If you are to be an evangelist, let me tell you two or three things that will be characteristic. Number one, vigor. Uh, for these, for the man who objected, well, alliteration the other morning, close your ears, where is he sitting over there? <laughs> right, you're going to have alliteration, apt alliteration's artful aid. Here we go, number one, vigor. There is something in an evangelistic concept, activity and presentation that speaks of vigor. They could not resist in, in Philip the spirit with which he spoke. And says Paul to the Romans, fervent in spirit. Boiling is the Greek word. Fervent in spirit. And uh, there's something to be said for that. That you come along and you inspire people by, by your imagination and your confidence. Uh, oh, I've been in so many places where they had no hope of anything happening. You say, come on, let's try. Never mind. I say to the young people, let's go out to the open air. If we have a big crowd, we'll say hallelujah. If we don't have a big crowd, we'll say hallelujah anyway. Because so far as God is concerned, it's the same effort for success as for failure. But you, you, there, there's got to be vigor. There's got to be vigor. You've got to keep the meeting alive. We heard the other night of being a leader. I've usually led my own meetings, although lately, as the years have caught up, I'm glad of the physical help. But um, there, there, there's something called vigor. Think of that word. The second word that you want to have, and it is valor. Valor. You're going to have to be brave. Because you're going to have to say things, as I've said earlier, that a pastor, by the very fact that he knows what's going on in the church, it would be wrong for a minister to preach openly. Unless he can go to the people personally, it would be discourtesy to speak from the pulpit what everybody knows he's talking about when he should go to the people themselves. But an evangelist comes in, he knows nothing. But he says, I've got to say it all. And uh, you've got to be brave when there are ministers. I had a minister in Tredegar. God was moving mightily in Tredegar. 
place was packed to suffocation. It was night in Bevan, uh, his constituency, and the, and the people were thrilled that we got a bigger crowd for evangelism than he got for politics. And uh, there was a minister leading the meeting one night, and he didn't believe in the second coming. But I, God, had laid on my heart to preach on as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And as I was preaching, I could hear his feet shuffling, you know. Uh, as I, I said to myself, shuffle on, man. I'm going to preach what I've got to preach, you see. Now, you, you, you've got to be prepared to be brave. You're going to go to places that others don't go to. I can't describe to you the things I've, I've done in God's name. I, I, when I look back at them, I, I shudder that I did them at all. I, I got up, I was going on a ship uh, to Norway. I, I was in a, in a teacher's training college in Wrexham. And they had my name over the campus. Come and hear David Shepherd, hear David Shepherd. I went with the students to the refectory one day to have a meal, you see. And the place was full of students, hundreds of students, and the teachers. I said to the students, said, now don't be worried with what I'm going to do. I said, don't, don't be worried, don't, don't, don't panic, I said. But just sit there. So I got up in the refectory, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you won't mind the intrusion, but I feel it's not right to ask you people to come and hear a man called David Shepherd, I said, without you seeing what he's like. So I thought you might like to know what I look like. I said, here I am. And I'm here this week to offer you a first century cure for 20th century complaints. And I'll be delighted to meet you tonight. Da, 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 da. <laughs> the students were having kittens over there. <laughs> But you know, it was after I did it, I shook. Oh dear. I said, what, what have I done now? Well, there are plenty of things you're going to have to do like that. I've had to have police to rescue me from Catholics in Southern Ireland. To be rescued. And I was very grateful to be rescued. Because what worried me was that they hit me. Would I be allowed to hit them back? <laughs> and uh, that, that worried me more than anything else. Voila. They said to Finney, you don't mean to tell us, Mr. Finney, that you get a revival because you say those things. Anyone can say those things. He said, yes, they can, but will you? Will you? He was sitting one day in the meeting because they didn't have vestries and they didn't pay their preachers either. But he was sitting there and there was a society lady who always came in late to the meeting. She came in that little bit late. She had a big feather in her hat, see. Huge feather. And she went clapa down the aisle. And everybody swallowed their saliva and said, There she comes, the great lady. And she down, she went with a feather going east to west, you see. <laughs> but she did the worst thing in her life. She sat next to Finney. And Finney leaned over and said, Madam, Madam, have you come to church to worship God or to pander to your vanity? She blanched. And when she saw him going up to the pulpit later to be the preacher, she wilted. And his text that day was, Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. <laughs> <laughs> and she served God happily for 27 years after being saved. Now, there are things you're going to have to do and say, I mean it. Thirdly, virtue. Since you are going to expose yourself by the outwardness of your labors, oh, labor to be sure that nobody can point a finger. They say that the, the, the three things that can be set uh, an advantage of fame, finance, and females. Fame, finance, and females. It's so easy, so easy. Be careful. I, I, I make it a rule uh, not to let people talk to me about certain things. 
Never to mention other people's names. You see, the, the power of the Roman church is the confessional. That is where the power of the Roman church lies. That's why they've, they've outlawed Freemasonry, which is a secret service. Secret society. Because, you see, getting to know all about their people's faults, it gives them great power. Now, I don't want to be a priest at a confessional. There's such a thing as spiritual curiosity. God convicted me of spiritual curiosity as an evangelist, wanting to hear all the dirty stories of people's life. I said, just tell me enough to tell me what your need is. And don't mention anybody else's name. Uh, God knows, I wish I could have been a good deal holier. But virtue, if you're going to put yourself out prominently, you need more care than anyone else. And finally, what I'm going to call, now what is the word? Versatility. That's a good word. Versatility. I'll tell you why. An evangelist has got to deal with all sorts of people, all sorts of situations, and he's got to deliver all sorts of messages. He's got to act diplomatically, and uh, even technically. The things I've had to do as an evangelist, we were once having a tent crusade, this is going back a number of years ago, and when it arrived, you see ten tons of chairs and posts, then came the $60,000 question. Does anybody know how to put up a marquee? And so I said, search me. And somebody else said, search me. So here was the evangelist. His first job was putting up the marquee. And I, had only, I could only guess how it went up. I was afraid every night there would be a snap and boom down. There was a time I tried everything. I tried everything. Youth meetings, children meetings. I've even conducted choirs in South Wales to preach the gospel. What we call Gamanvaganis. It was, I started it. I got the, all the senior citizens of the Clew Valley to come and Bagali. I had the mayor there and the politicians there. I had a great time at the end preaching the gospel. But have a go at it all. Have a go. And uh, I, I never mind what it is. Don't ever say, oh, we're not all cut out. Well, you'll soon find out and they'll cut you out. But <laughs> the thing is this. In the meantime, have a go. Have a go. Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with all your might. So now, that's how I would regard the call of an evangelist to an evangelist. I hope that what I've said is a help to you. And I'm grateful to God for giving me the honor of being an evangelist.